It's interesting. Cats have like a ton of scalp motion. Like if you watch them yawn or whatever, their ears will like go from the side of their head to like the top of their head. Um, yeah. And there's a fair amount of animals that have that. I mean, humans aren't supposed to have that much of it, or at least I've never seen that much of it. But the way that it seems like you're approaching mewing um, really does revolve more around like kind of the, the scalp as well as like the internal structures, but getting this motion as opposed to just like the tongue push or just um, like the lips making a motion. Yeah, there's, um, it's tough to say exactly what drew me to, uh, so I've had sensitivity to parts of my scalp, but I didn't realize that until recently they were compensatory to lack of motion, or at least like, uh, maybe there was too much compression, some sutures, and there wasn't enough, uh, um, reduction of inflammation. So I had to like some way motilize so I can move, uh, like most of my scalp above that ear line and eyebrow line, but I struggle with parts of it. Like the right one can't go up on its own super easily. I have to doctor it a little bit mm-hmm. and hugely improved. But uh, the effort of doing all that kind of stuff was mostly just that I knew that my face wasn't moving super well. And the few times that I found that it moved better was when I submerged my head underwater and I felt that feedback of pressure or at least I felt the buoyancy of my head and in order for me to be able to go further down when I was younger I had to equalize a lot uh, and I, I suppose I got used to pressing down or at least uh, inundating more of that swallow pressure more of that uh, visceral abdominal pressure and uh, yeah I think it was sinking um, you can't sink in the water if you keep all your pressure in your head and I wanted to be able to dive so uh, in the same way that the best di- free divers are some of the best breathers, uh, you learn a lot when you're experiencing load that resists your ability to breathe. And then I was just trying to do load to resist the ability to uh, move my head and I couldn't do it from the outside. So in uh, applying both those considerations, I started to realize that uh, free divers create a lot of it in the strength of their throat. And you can see that like in old circus acts, like sword swallowers, uh, they're not quite muscling it down. They're just opening and receiving it. And most of us can't even come back into extension enough that um, their uh, spine makes way or their throat makes way at their cervical spine. It usually just compresses immediately. And uh, I just started to realize that all the tension I was holding was also making it super hard for me to create a bigger, more open airway. So I started to play around and I found a couple of tools that really worked for me, uh, predominantly in the, uh, like cranial sacral space or, um, uh, like chiropractic manipulation. Um, I experienced, uh, PRRT, which is primal reflexive reset training, I think, uh, at S10 and a couple of times, over it made my head a different experience like it took literal uh sensation of weight i felt like i had lost 300 pounds of pressure and just hardship from my brain and spine and body in walking outside and feeling the sun for the first time afterwards literally made me cry and i could not uh i could not ground myself in a way that felt 
like I'm in control of this. And I had to just like let go and experience myself as not in control of the experience. And it was really wonderful to experience how much, uh, how much of a crutch uh, my sympathetics were as soon as I started to get those. I'm going on a tangent, but there's so much value. I'm like to say that uh, mewing is just tongue posture to say that mewing just helps you breathe a little bit better. It does so much to the effect of changing your internals. And it's the first thing we started as babies. We first looked for food or sustenance or the ability to move by way of our internals. And our throat was a large uh, driver of that. So taking it back to those things, I retrained myself and I took out some traumas of my own. And then I found some tools that work really well for other people as well. Yeah. My, my experience with the craniosacral, um, was, was similar, probably not as intense, uh, as yours, but, uh, there was just the feeling of like my center of gravity just, or my equilibrium being in a different spot. So like getting off the table, I'm like kind of wobbly. Like I kind of got to reorient. Like I feel super relaxed and super heavy. Um, but it's kind of like, all right, I have a, a bit of a fresh slate to be able to start again. Right. Um, and that's, probably where you started to find the mewing being the thing that gave you the more sustainable like change or um, gave you the effort or the way you could effort yourself into your body without going back to your old holding patterns. Um, and what, what were some of those like holding patterns? What were some of the, the stuff that you had to let go to really like get the, the most out of, or the most change? Um. Just I'm, I have a really expressive face, and I think that a lot of the things that I uh, habited when I was a kid would show off how I felt about things because uh, after some head injuries, like I built out a lot of that coordination of my face, and maybe because I was compensating, uh, my face was showing up, my expression or making my brain feel things that my body wasn't able to communicate all the way down, uh, or at least like uh, feel comfortable communicating that much input for. And uh, so I stopped paying attention to all that input that was in my face. And I realized that uh, a lot of it was um, in the moment uh, reactive. Like I was very frenetic. I was like, uh, like moving around a little bit. I was trying to like shake off discomfort in my face. I was like holding on to uh, like gripping my face with my eyebrows and uh, uh, I mean, I've always had these bags underneath my eyes since I was a little kid. I've had bad sleep, but I think it was more to the point that parts of my skull weren't moving very well. Uh, and now that I am opening it up more, my eyes start to feel bigger uh, in my skull. And in that, I'm perceiving that I have muscles that I haven't even used in forever. So um my holding patterns weren't really holding patterns as they were compensation patterns because I didn't let things move naturally. I was restricting their development with force and their development with the rest of the body. So, uh, I wouldn't have, um, my smile maybe wouldn't also communicate, uh, to my eyes because I have a habit of like holding my eyes or wincing my eyes and not being aware of what, if I were to uh, have like more broadness in my eyes while I was looking around, uh, my eyes wouldn't be winced beforehand. So there would be like some communication of the face lifting a little bit more, but because I didn't allow that because my face was stiff down, 
um, it looked like I was smiling and happy, but I was thinking about things and I wasn't like present to whatever. So people were always like, what are you thinking? Nothing. I'm just happy. I, I have pain in my brain that I don't know how to register. I don't know what's going on. That's all. Yeah. 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 Um, and it, it seems like, like you mentioned, there was a lot of like attention or like motion in the face, like at the front. And it seems like a theme with the way that you approach mewing is kind of taking that attention away from the front and bringing it to the back, to the backbone and obviously to the, the back of the throat. Um, and I guess a little bit to the bottom as well, kind of the digastric area. Um, I imagine like kind of getting those to build out was what allowed the relief of kind of the front. Yeah. If we think in terms of midline, the things that are neurologically coincidental with like belly and abdomen and pelvis, uh, all the structures that coincide with um, their more uh, uh, underdeveloped points on my pelvis and my head were, you could, you could point out the points that were underdeveloped, like the back of my head and my pelvis would oftentimes rotate or tuck in the same consideration. Like I would let my neck uh, flex forward, uh, even though I was lifting my head. And that would be the compensation of my, the tucking on my pelvis. And I have an injury to my hip that I, like I received a bicycle handlebar into my hip when I was about 11 or 12. And it like punctured my hip about an inch deep. And I remember throwing up right after it and just lying down in the street. Um, and typically when you throw up, it's a, a byproduct of like a huge shock to the system. I know that I've thrown up a couple of times from, um, head injuries and the like, but this one was totally different in that I think my whole system created some flexion or protective flexion around my hips and I wasn't able to pro properly rotate my right hip. Uh, so it's been like a effort of like me dragging myself around from my, my left hip for forever. And that same um, relationship fixed into my jaw and the side of my head. So it's possible that the compounding of a lot of these injuries were just confusing my nervous system to the point where it no longer had the ability to reflexively respond to stuff um, without having to take into account how is this going to affect my injury. The muscles on the front of your body are driven by a more accessible neurology. So in practicing that habit, you're likely practicing an absence of uh, inhibitory action or the preventative mechanism from the other side of the body or the muscles that help agonize the function. And if we get so focused on being in that really nervous area, we're not going to be super skeletal, which makes us more heavy, which makes us more uh, neurally available and more sturdy in our communication through our framework. Um, yeah. I built out the back of my body by way of finding out how to become more sedated and relaxed in my midline. And it started to happen on its own, but I've consciously added some stuff to make it happen faster. Would you say uh, the tongue is one of those easy to access neurologically like front side muscles, or is it like kind of where the front of the tongue is and the back of the tongue isn't. And I know when people generally do their mewing efforts, it's very tongue driven and not very back of body throat driven, um, potentially for that reason. Yeah, I think that's because their mandible is understable or it's impacting their hyoid or something that's creating a, continu a continuous over oxidative effect in areas that are not saturating, meaning the tissue associated is probably not in a 
safe framework to be out of tension. So it's holding or preventing the, the range that might be at compromise. It might be an end range compromise where a lot of us hold our chin back and we have a, a underbite, um, or sorry, an overbite, excuse me. Uh, uh, that's oftentimes a lack of develop, development of the mandible. Uh, and because the mandible is not sturdy, there's nothing for the tongue to push down on. And so the tongue is always reaching for stability and the tongue cannot create stability inherently if there's no stability for it. So uh, the biting aspect of, uh, or the digastric stuff, the stuff we do underneath the chin is largely for the effort of building out the underside of your tongue and how it connects to the hyoid and the throat muscles so that they don't get pushed into by the jaw. Cause that's what makes people black out usually when they get hit in the chin. Uh, it's that there's so little stability right there behind the uh, chin muscles that their airway and everything else does too much for it to be coherent because it usually for most of us, we're driven off of oxygen. We're not capable of spending prolonged periods of time CO2 uh, uh, with our CO2 building. And that's because we're having an influx of inputs with very little extraneous uh, inputs. So it's a bunch of interoception. And so we're learning or we're hearing a bunch about ourselves, but that puts our brain into, oh my goodness, threat mode. And so most of us don't like to do that. Uh, in conditioning that, um, you create a lot more global stability just because you're not oxidizing places that are like seeking or in need of sensation because they're otherwise not interoceptive. This episode of Monkey Bars is sponsored by the Mewing with MoveMed online course that you can get right now at movemed.net. If you want to be guided through the applications of some of the theories that we talk about on this podcast, this is going to be a great place for you. And just in general, if you're dealing with any neck pain, jaw pain, or headaches, or just anything upper body related, getting this stuff to feel more connected will probably change the outcomes and the effectiveness of everything else that you're doing. So check it out, Mewing with MoveMed online course. Where are the places that you might think people would get caught up in over-focusing on when doing the mewing? Would it be potentially like the tongue if they've been again coached to like push it up uh, a lot? Is it... Um, yeah around the teeth engorging the tissue of the mouth is something that's different so you should have softness in your mouth and i think majority of people are really tense in their mouth so they'll find that through these exercises in sustaining a lot of them they'll get fatigued tremendously fast uh, and soon after fatigue they'll feel like they don't have a whole lot of ability to repeat the action a ton of times and so learning how to get good enough to repeat it for the time suggested and going to the far end. So 30 seconds being the low end, two minutes, for example, being a high end, uh, getting that is going to produce so much more reward uh, out of the tissue relative uh, the time it needs to take to resaturate, to rehydrate and to maintain a, like a passive resting state that bears some more weight because the bigger it gets, the more saturated. So say your chin goes from your teeth being uh, three teeth behind your, your four teeth to being right underneath them. That much jaw space 
is a lot more weight, a lot more ballast that you're going to have to cognify for your whole body to balance your head. So either you're going to reduce tension and support it uh, throughout the body more globally, or you're going to increase tension and you're going to isolate and localize it. So in creating a, um, a change through the jaw and change through the face and the skull, it's not about how much you want for it to happen. It's about how much you can uh, withdraw the pressure or sorry. Yeah. The pressure and tension from your skull uh, and bring it down into your midsection, the place that is your core. And once your core stabilizes, you're going to find the relationship of how much the pressure feedback um, builds out the jaw against the belly. So it's almost like we're trying to create a similar bracing mechanism in the throat and the jaw. And if you've ever done some form of uh, grappling where you've been put into a headlock and you know that you don't have a whole lot of room, the ability to pull your head into your body or turtle backward is something that's invaluable, protecting a bunch of your throat space, but more particularly making sure that uh, someone can't... Um, uh, take away your ability to breathe or perceive your ability to breathe. Because as soon as there's enclosure and people panic, there's always some perception of less oxygen. And if your brain can perceive less oxygen, then it's going to immediately start to inundate uh, uh, trying to do all the stuff with less fuel. So it's either going to take in more uh, effort to pull in more fuel through a, th a shorter hole and thereby creating more inflammation because you're essentially resisting yourself thinking the panic is the tension when the tension is the panic. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the neurology of all of this, there's a lot of answers. That's why I keep going on tangents. Like what is the best thing to share with people here? The best thing you can say for yourself is once you build out a healthy jaw, you have probably a good ability to put pressure into your belly. And once you have the ability to put uh, pressure up to the roof of your mouth or suction, you probably have a good ability to uh, put pressure downward into your groin area without having to, for example, force bowel movements or prevent the leakage of bladder or uh, continuously go and use the restroom. Um, your pelvic floor is guided largely in the uh, neurology of the face, in the mouth in particular. And breathing, since it's so coincidental throughout the chain, it has a huge play into it. Um, that if you get strong enough with these coordinations, you're going to find that your whole body runs off of them. And that there's probably a couple of gym workouts that you learned when you were 15, 16, or whatever that maybe confused your perception of this stuff. Uh, and per perhaps it was like, you've never, you've never been given the ability to uh, sprint as uh, an individual without injuries or uh, without there being obstacles to your ability to fully ground your foot like cleats or whatever. But um, most people are going to find the immediate value of this kind of stuff. Uh, and the people who don't probably have some underlying issue in the midline. And that'll be a good indicator of if I can't do these things, which I should fundamentally be able to earn my way into, uh, maybe my issue isn't so much uh, my weak biceps or it isn't so much 
how many times I go to the gym during the week. Maybe my issue is something more uh, neurological or maybe it's something more uh, skeletal or whatever. But when you start to pay attention to things that really mean something, you start to pay attention to what really comes up as a byproduct of threat to the brain or uh, reward to the brain. And this is what's going to happen here. Your brain's going to start signaling and messaging really well. And as a byproduct of that, you're going to start growing or becoming aware of why you can't uh, or what you fixate on instead of. When we're thinking about growing, especially kind of the area of focus um, for what we're talking about, is the uh, is the goal to have the giant Chad jaw? Like you've probably seen that uh, fake filter or whatever, where it's just like, like comes way out from the face. Um, it, is there like a, an ideal shape? Like obviously you want to have space underneath. We want to see this like lifted as opposed to receded or pushed down. Um, people I think chase with mewing the like blockiness, right? Um, are those things that you should be kind of like, if you're looking in the mirror, doing exercises like this, should you be striving to create that kind of growth? Um, so I can't say definitively that that Chad jaw is going to be a benefit to everyone because some people have the issue of too much pro, uh, protraction of the jaw. And so there's already too much of that. And in the same, uh, that Chad jaw is created by way of connection into the skull. So if the skull itself isn't developed, that's not going to happen for most people. They're going to just do uh, what most environments do, which is they isolate a, like a metric of success. They find as much success within that isolated metric, non-concerned for how much uh, they uh, sacrificed or did not uh, engage as a byproduct of not engaging the other 25 to 65% of the head. And um the largeness of my jaw has increased in me being able to create more airway or more support for my spine. So I think that it's, it's a couple of things. Uh, if you have a retracted muzzle, like your face is kind of pitched backward into your throat, it could be that your cheekbones are not distinct enough, uh, and they're too uh, rolled upward or they're too rolled inward uh, or they're like, yeah, uh, they're pulled back too high and there's not enough support on the actual uh, jaw structure. A number of pe people have a different, a, a different like accumulation of skeletal positions. I think that the things that you're going to focus on in this viewing course that are going to be a benefit are building out muscles that most people haven't heard of. So uh, tucking your chin is oftentimes a byproduct of very little digastric support. It's oftentimes something that can, can like uh, presses the throat and further exacerbates the issue of neck security. Um, and the, the digastric learning how to engorge the chin learning how to protract or rather expand without it being pushed without the skull coming with it is a totally different thing. I had a question on the page. Someone had asked me if there was some, there was two options to his question and it, fundamentally a bias that doesn't work for asking a question you don't know the answer to. 
but asking a question saying, is this the option or is this the option? Well, neither, because I haven't uh, explained to you what we're um, When most people fixate on a solution, they're going to think about their most interactive ability with the mechanism, which might be where people would chat jot up. The best thing for people to cognify is the throat and their ability to still perceive air or manage their uh, restraint from air. So I, I, I train it with like a swallow, hold, inhale, uh, swallow, hold, and continuously doing some breakage between the inhale, exhale, so that you can cognify that the space between is still space. You don't have to be breathing all the time. Will, will people uh, end up with very unilateral um, kind of deformities or like um, imbalances with this stuff. Like we'll, I, I've had the experience with some clients where they'll feel like a nice widening response from one side of their neck and not the other. Um, is that pretty common? Yeah. I mean, you have to take into account you're not in a neutral to begin with. So feeling something as a byproduct of the exercise doesn't necessarily mean the side not feeling it uh, can't. Uh, it could be a consideration of position. So the, for me, I know that most people's head is slightly rotated and it's like gives a little bit to the right. And so there's not enough action to rotate back for a lot of them. So instead they lean it. And so it just allows for them to look from a wider angle without using the insertions of their rotation into, into their uh, rotators, into their skull, their trap. Um, yeah, I mean, most people are going to experience something to a deficit, but I think that the exercises that I've chosen are pretty, uh, pretty fixed down the middle. Um, and for what that's worth, people will become aware of uh, discongruity much more easily as a byproduct of these exercises.